hello there, you adorable FC Dallas curious fan. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast, the final one of the MLS FC Dallas season. I'm Peter, and with us today, as usual, my two FC Dallas soccer talking buddies. First off, Dan Crook. Hello, Dan. How are you, sir? Spiffing. Absolutely spiffing. Just Uh, spiffy? Spiffing. Spiffing. What does that mean? Spiffing good. Oh. It's a a good thing. Is that an English term? Like pip-pip? It is. Uh, It's more so than pip-pip, yeah. Did you get anybody greet you or any sort of uh, salutation in the last week since the last pod with a pip-pip from anybody? No. Does that disappoint you? Yeah, it kind of does. Sorry to ruin your life. I was hoping we would start a new thing in your life that people would walk up to Dan Crook and go, pip-pip. No, just just the impressions thing. Just, just oh, the- maybe we'll finish the pod today with an impression. Hold on, let me make that note. I didn't have that one <laughs> written down. Hmm, excellent. All right, I know exactly the impression I'm looking for too. Okay, and of course, uh, founder and co-editor of ThirdDegree.net and from the Dallas Morning News, it is Buzz Carrot. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter. I'm calling in today from uh, Toyota Stadium, where I'm waiting for the first training session of 2020 to begin. You're just all giddy for that, aren't you, Mister? Oh, you know me. Okay, so, uh, guys, I'm going to let you choose your own adventure. We can, A, uh, discuss the season-ending loss in Seattle. We can, B, talk about the subsequent upcoming amazing MLS playoff games. Or, C, how I had to sit in next to Dan Hunt at a... Uh, forum in front of 500 people earlier today. Which one would you like first? Oh, C for sure. Dan? C, absolutely C. Okay, so if you didn't know, today was the monthly SMU Athletic Forum, and when they've got somebody that is soccer-oriented the last couple of times, because Bob Sturm at the same time is also doing a radio show, therefore unavailable they call me and ask me if i can do it and a couple years ago i got to interview carly lloyd and it was awesome and today they asked me to hold the interview portion of the forum with none other than clint dempsey so can i just stop here so you said it's a monthly thing like is this just uh is this just the students or is it the you know the people who pay their trust funds or, or, or who is it, it I, you know i'm i'm not a hundred thousand percent sure dan what it's the F, it's the smu athletic forum and i think it's an organization that raises money uh for charities and also for the smu athletic organization like extra month funds and they pay to bring in significant athletes for these luncheons and interviews and they that's how they raise money because you if you were a giant clint dempsey fan you could buy a ticket and attend this whether you were part of the athletic group or form or whatever you don't have to be an smu student if that makes any sense gotta be a pretty sad person to be a giant clint dempsey fan really well i don't know what that means but okay so um there was lots of little kids there that were huge Clint Dempsey fans, and they got to meet him one-on-one today. So there, stick that in your pie. Did he dive? Oh, my God. You're just never going to quit. Are you a Clint Dempsey hater? He's just a very bang-average player. <laughs> well, I would disagree with you, but that's for another pod. So anyway, uh, they asked me to host this, and as part of that, you sit at a head table, which is on a, on a stage overlooking all the people that are in attendance and you have to sit down and eat lunch and they give you assigned places and um my the guy that i do the radio show with andy swift who obviously is like the biggest mucky muck big wig in dallas soccer is also there and i follow andy to the very end of the table thinking that i'm supposed to be sitting next to him and he we get to his spot and there's a name card for andy but there's no peter and all the seats next to andy are fill up so i'm like oh i'm on the other side of the stage i wonder where i'm sitting and I look, and there's only one space left at the on the right side of the stage in the leftmost seat. And suddenly I realize, holy shit, they've sat me next to Dan Hunt. <laughs> Somebody's got a drop machine. Awesome. Next to Dan is Luchi Gonzalez, who I called to be fired on the radio show on Saturday when I found out Paxton wasn't starting. I didn't really mean it. 
mostly, at least not in the after or later, I didn't mean it, but in the moment I was pretty mad. And so I walk over and they haven't seen me yet. And I start to pull my chair out and Dan turns and looks at me. And the look on his face was one of two things. And I'm not quite sure which one it was. It was either a, who is this clown? They have sat next to me. And why is he sitting next to me? Or B, oh no, that somebody is going to get fired after this forum is over. It's going to be yep. really funny when Buzz's credential gets pulled because he supposedly ambushed Dan Hunt at SMU when he wasn't there. <laughs> That's right. He probably thinks it was me, right? Uh. Mm. Well, uh, I will add that Clint Dempsey could not have been cooler. He was a wonderful interview. Um, he was way more gregarious and open and talkative and told a couple of really funny stories. Um, and I don't care what you think, Dan. Uh, he's, uh, he's the greatest, and he's a legend, and I uh, love him to death for doing that. Unfortunately— Did he rip up your notebook? I uh, know he did not rip up my notebook. That's the, that was the question I didn't get to ask him. I should have done that. Um, uh, did he by chance? Uh, did, by, did by chance? Did you ask him about what he's going to do next? Because a lot of people have talked about wanting him to do stuff, and he's like, "I'm going fishing." Yeah, he <laughs> uh, doesn't appear to have anything in particular in mind. I didn't know this. He lives in North Carolina. He doesn't live in he doesn't live in Washington, oh. and his entire family lives in Texas. But his wife is from North Carolina, so that's where he's at, and he's just leaving. He's living a life of leisure and fishing, and uh, he doesn't and seem rap. to have any particular other uh, aims for doing anything different at this point. Okay. Well, yeah. I you know, he, he's he's definitely for me. He's the best American player of all time. Um, but he's not the kind of guy you know from his playing career. You're like, oh, I want that guy coaching kids, or oh, I want to think he should be a GM of a team. You're kind of like, I, I don't know what he's going to do next. I, <laughs> like, I don't know what he fits. Yeah, I don't know. It was it, uh, it he was really interesting and uh, a nice guy. And unfortunately, uh, because it's a paid event, SMU doesn't record. And he, not only do they not put these on the internet, they don't even record them, video or audio. So. So I have wow. now, in my career, interviewed, sat down one-on-one -on -one with Carly Lloyd and Clint Dempsey, and I have no record of it other than random kind of one-off photos that I receive from people who happen to be there, and that's it. It's it's maddening. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, there you go. Uh, Clint Dempsey was fantastic. Okay, as I said, it appears, well, not appears, this is the final episode of Third Degree, the podcast for season two. As uh, the end has happened, in Seattle on Saturday, Seattle 4, Dallas 3, and a thriller at 120 minutes. Uh, Dallas takes Seattle, goes the extra mile, and takes them all the way through extra time, uh, but can't quite keep that fourth goal out. And the season is over. Buzz, you were effusive in your praise of the team um, afterwards on Twitter. Um, and uh, all right, let, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, the reason I was so excited about it um, is that, you know, we've talked on this podcast since the preseason about how this team was a borderline playoff team. You know, uh, I thought they'd be in, you thought they'd be out. That's fine. They got in. So for me, uh, anything that they did was going to be uh, gravy. And there was all this uh, narrative all week long, uh, rightfully so, about how they had only won three road games and they've never they've only won once in Seattle ever. And the team adopted this why not us sort of mentality. And, and we kind of were not necessarily super impressed with that mentality because that's basically the only mentality they were really had available to them when they're that big of an underdog. Um, and then they proceeded to go out with a crazy lineup, which we'll get to in a minute, but um, they give up two goals uh, in the first half. And this season when FC Dallas has given up goals in the first half like that, they pretty much universally uh, fold. They only came back from behind uh, after giving up the first goal once all season, and it was towards the end. So when they go down two, I'm thinking, oh, man, this is over, and this could get ugly. And it didn't. They turned it around. They scored two goals to get back to two to two, and then Seattle got another one, and they could have folded, and they didn't. And they get back to three to three. You know, in, in the end, Seattle got the game, and by, excuse me, goodness gracious. <coughs> by the time they got it to three to three, for me, it became a case of I don't even care what happens in this game now. To me, this growth, this this stepping up, this gut reaction, this fight back, this uh, tenacity, 
Uh, this has been missing all year, and if they have found it, and if, and if and per, so, perhaps this is a sign of a growth of a team. Either way, no matter what happens results wise, I think it's a great moment, a great performance, and I was really glad to see it, and really happy to see it, and it was more important than the result. Dan, do you have any particular reaction to the game? Yeah, the six of those seven goals were some of the crappiest goals you're ever going to see. Um, FC does has a habit of letting in soft goals then doing the hard work and you know that, that was the story of the game you had that uh, Rui Diaz goal I don't know what Jesse was doing maybe he you know maybe he put two contacts in one eye maybe he lost one of them I, I, I don't know uh, but my grandmother could have saved that and she's had two knee replacements <laughs> um <laughs> You know, and then he gets nutmegged on the second, which, you know, in all, in all honesty, was their best goal. And that was because three of the defenders are stuck waiting for a bus up on the halfway line. Uh, Reggie's goal, terrible defending on their end. Uh, Matt Hedges' goal is actually the one good goal of the game. Uh, the one off the corner, um, Morris backing into Sylvania. Sylvania just didn't stand him up. I don't know what was going on there. And then Jesse. Again, I'm not really sure what he was trying to do. Uh, it, it was a, that was a strange goal, and then uh, you know, even at the end, you've got another, you've got it come down to uh, another mistake. Morris does what every striker's supposed to do. Um, you know, getting a ball on your head close to goal, your head's straight at ground. Reggie seems to call it over and almost blocks Jesse Gonzalez from trying to make a save. It was just really bizarre. Um, I mean, for all the fight back and everything else, I don't think either team should look back at that performance and be happy. No, no I would agree that in terms of like its execution and in terms of its uh, quality of the goals that were allowed and scored, that it wasn't a particularly good game. It's just that, um, you know, when you're talking about a team that has not shown any resiliency for them to recover and have some, to me, it was exciting. It was just, it's a step in the progress of the right direction that you want to have. And, and in particular, um, in terms of quality of the goals, it was a couple of the young guys that made mistakes. On the first goal, Cervenia tried to intercept the ball in midfield and missed, and that's what gave Rio Diaz, uh, Rui, Di- Rui Diaz an open goal to shoot at. Um, I, I'm with you. I thought Jesse could have been better on both goals. Uh, but, you know, I, all that stuff is, for me, I got overwashed by the fact that, um, you know, they had uh, 24 shots on goal. You know, only eight were on target, so that seems to be better. But, um, you know, plenty of crosses, 34 crosses. You know, they, they had more of the possession 54% possession I think it was on the road you know so a lot of quality is there to build on and go forward from a young team and, and I'm with you the, the game wasn't great quality uh even uh Andresic, who didn't score I thought this was one of his best games in terms of involvement he had more touches than normal he checked back and laid off more balls than normal that all looked good as a collective they didn't get him into the box because they had uh, FC Dallas had too many shots. They had like 54% of their shots came from outside the box, which is not good. You want to get Cobra into that box and get the balls into his feet because that's where he's going to score. That's where your team's going to be effective and score more. I mean, um, uh, Brian Acosta had six shots that led the team. That's not good. You don't want to have your holding midfielder have lead the team in shots. That's too far outside. That was a problem from 2017, but lots to grow on. Not a great performance, but um, just overwhelmed for me by the fight back and the tenacity. And, I, I, and so I'm still, even a day later, I'm super positive about the whole thing. I thought they played better than I positively, than I could have even expected, I thought, in, as a collective. Yeah, they played better than I thought they would, but the overriding thing was Seattle played an awful lot worse than I thought they would. They had a Chad Marshall-sized yeah. hole in their defense that they're going to patch up next season. And that's probably going to be... You know, FC Dallas's best chance to win at CenturyLink for a little while. Um, you know, they, they, when they do lose in the playoffs, they're going to lose pretty big because that if they if they play like that, they're uh, they're not a playoff contender. They're just uh, average at best. Yeah, I I agree, Dan. Uh, I, I the game uh, I, I, part of the problem with the game was is it was going on while we were doing the radio show, and I didn't actually get to watch it live until I happened to walk in the door and turn it on. Literally, as overtime or extra time or whatever we're calling it these days um, uh, was starting, and obviously that was pretty thrilling. But those, you know, everything gets thrown out of the window. Nobody's really doing anything tactically correct at that point. Everybody's just trying 
trying to, you know, uh, bomb forward and do whatever they can to, to get the winning goal. But I, I think what we really need to do is go back to the beginning of the game and discuss what what is it? <clears throat> what is it about the Seattle air that gets FC Dallas coaches to do weird lineup things uh, in playoff games? Because when I saw the starting 11, I immediately was harkened back to Oscar Perea's uh, uh, three in the back, uh, out of the blue lineup uh, for that playoff game that ended up going like four nothing wrong against them or something. Uh, you have any insight as to what Lucci was thinking about by making Reggie Cannon a right forward winger in this game? Yeah, that was a mystery to me uh, as to why. Um, I, I agree with you that uh, something about all I can figure is that uh, Lucci must have thought that. Um, the times they'd played Seattle and gone in their normal sort of system, that things hadn't gone well because the last few times they've gone up there and he just played them at all. He went with the Barrios as a nine thing and with a counter punch. And I thought he would go back to that actually. Uh, and he didn't, which that was really caught me off guard as I expected that to happen. And he stuck with the normal sort of Androsic uh, up there and the normal sort of press. Uh, admittedly though, in a lower block, they were much more towards midfield and that kind of stuff. My assumption is, and I haven't gotten a chance to ask Lucci about this because his post-game press conference uh, quotes I saw, nobody bothered to ask about the tactics, which is a mystery to me. Um, why? Yeah, I know. Um, why do you start Reggie over there? And and my assumption is that it's because of the opposition. Between Morris on the left wing and, um, uh, oh, dang it, Smith? Smith at the yeah. at left back. Uh, you know, there's a lot of vertical verticality on that side. And so if you put Reggie up there, maybe he can get up and down with Smith a little better. Um, the problem for me, other than Paxton, which we'll get to in a second, the problem for me is that you put Brisson at right back. Uh, in order to play Lucci ball, he wants to have his wings up and supporting and getting forward underneath and wide both. Um, and even sometimes both at the same time. But Brisson doesn't have recovery pace. When Brisson gets caught up, he's stuck. He can't get back in time. Oh, you mean like so we how, noticed on the second goal? Yeah, exactly on the second goal. When they both got caught up and then Ziegler pinched and they all three got left, Hollingshead at least got back and put pressure. Brisson's not even in the picture. So it's like uh, if you want to put a, a back over there, it's like you got Johnny Nelson on the roster. Why did he travel if you don't trust him to play? So he's at least a, an option on the right. We know he can do a good job over there. Or where's Brian Reynolds? I mean, where's a real right back, not a center back playing right back in the playoffs? A guy that can't keep up with the up and down verticality, especially because Jordan Morton's is pretty fast. So it's not like Brisson looked like positively glacial compared to him. So I don't get it. Hopefully Lucha explains to me the next time I talk to him. So you had a perfect opportunity when you started on Dressick. That's fine. Baji was out. Coleman was out. You put Barris on the other wing. It was a perfect opportunity to put uh, Paxton Pomichol in at the right wing, who, by the way, in the limited, not limited amount of time, the 40 minutes he played, including overtime, he had five key passes uh, out of his nine passes he made in the whole game. <laughs> so it's like the opportunity was there to have a normal right back. And so I, to me, it's an overreaction from Lucci and hopefully he'll explain it to me next time I talk to him and, and, and we can all learn something hopefully about what he was thinking, because my guess is pressure of the situation, previous port success against Seattle. I'm going to try something. I'm going to try and mix it up. I got a little chance to win anyway. So I'm assuming that's what the answer is going to be, but um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I didn't quite have the reaction that you did of fire Lucci, <laughs> as you said on the air, but uh you know, nonetheless, I was a little bit uh, shocked by it, particularly when you had Brisson behind him instead of a natural right back. Well, obviously, the Fire Lucci thing is radio hot air bit stuff. Um, although I, I do, I do have a fundamental question of what really is the story behind uh, Lucci's decisions to not play Paxton as a starter in this team over the last several weeks now. Um, I think Paxton's only started what once in the last five or six games. And obviously he's had an injury situation, but I, I thought, and again, and I don't know if he said this to you or we all just made this assumption and we shouldn't have, that not starting him in the final game of the season against Kansas City was so that he would be great and ready to go when the playoff game came. And if he's healthy enough to be on the 18, I don't understand the thinking that he's not healthy enough to start. And if 
and 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 so I have, and that begets all other sorts of questions because I am ninety nine point nine percent sure you went down two nothing in that game simply because you chose not to start Paxton, which then forced you to move Reggie up to an odd position and start Brisson, which the aforementioned getting stuck too far forward and leaving all that space in behind, which made it two nothing. Um, and at the time, everybody just assumed game over. Um, and and I, I'm going to ask the question again. Does anybody understand why Lucci isn't starting Paxton? I, I only have guesses as to why. Um, and in the end, I think it's just simply the coach's, coach's choice. You know, I mean, I know there's some little bit of like, well, or a couple of weeks ago, there was a little bit of like, well, if you can't train every day, I don't know that I can put you in for the 90, but I can use you off the bench. Well, that was a couple of weeks ago. We heard from Paxton himself when he came on the kick round the other day that he trained all week and was healthy and he felt good, right? Yeah. So I'm a little bit mystified, particularly because uh, I went back and looked at the charts and stuff, and Jesus Ferreira did not have a good game. He didn't have any uh, passes <laughs> into to, the— You had to look at the charts to know that? Well, you know, sometimes I have this gut instincts about it, and then I like to go look at the charts and look at the stats and see if it is the same as what my—when I do my breakdown— you know what I mean? I then look and see if my gut instinct turns out to be correct based on the stats and the passes and stuff like that. So in this case in particular, I went and looked at the chart and I saw that he didn't have any passes into the offensive third. So he was really upset when he got subbed out. And I was like, dude, kid, I don't know why you're upset. You didn't have a very good game. And, you know, he and Brisson were pulled at basically the same time. And I think that shows you that later on, Rich is like, that's not working. I got to change it. Right. So, um, you, you know. I don't have a specific answer other than to say he chose what he thought was the better lineup in this case. Now we all, maybe I don't can speak for Dan or you obviously, but we all wanted to see Paxton go, you know, and because he is the difference maker. I mean, look at Jordan Morris with the hatchet, right? Special player, special game, rise to the occasion, do special things. Paxton with his five, uh, 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 creative pa- key passes that's the word key passes out of nine passes he made so it's like you know the kid's an impact player i would like to have seen him in there like you so i you know well we'll hopefully we'll see what happens going forward i don't well, know maybe we'll adapt well i i think that's uh letting everybody escape out of uh the, the amount of crap that they're due to be given about this but i mean he literally almost scored uh, uh, not just the goal of the season in MLS, it would have been arguably one of the goals of the year globally when he took that throw in, chested a turn, and took that volley on the uh, on the near post and just missed it by a couple of yards. That was unbelievable. Yeah, that was a special moment. Yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, uh, you know, we, we've talked a lot about this team needing a special players, you know, needing uh, your Valeris, needing your, your, uh, uh, Carlos Bellas, you know, why can't Paxton be that guy? Uh, you know, it's not like Lucci doesn't know him. I mean, Lucci's known him since he was a kid in the academy, right? So uh, I guess just in this circumstance, my, you know, based on the sort of defensive lineup he went with, he just must have assumed that Paxton couldn't do the defensive job on the right wing that they needed in this circumstance. So uh, I think in, I think the grand course of the game, he's been proven that that was incorrect. You know, I wrote that I, I said that it was the wrong choice to make in my breakdown I did, you know, so I, uh, hopefully I'm going to get a chance to ask him that, you know, when they start training again in another week here. So, so, um, you know, tune in next time and we'll, we'll have an answer hopefully for why that was the case. Dan, uh, you have any perspective on what's going on there between Pax and Lucci, if anything? I mean, I know, uh, yeah, no, I, I really don't. I mean, I know, you know, Lucci sees Jesus as, as the 10 going forward and, and Paxton playing further back. Um, you know, totally on board with that. Uh, just, you know, like Buzz said, special player. You've got to fit a special player in somewhere, right? Um, it can't just be, you know, uh, what do you play, 50, 53 minutes with extra, with extra time. So it can't just be that, that short a cameo for... You know, arguably your best player. So, uh, okay, is it fair to criticize or question if Lucci's uh, the right man for the job over that singular thing? Or is that, you know, because there's two components to this, right? It is the talent assessment that uh, Jesus is better in the center of the midfield than Paxton is. And it's also the decision not that, to, uh, that Paxton isn't good enough to even start as a winger. 
Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's a little step too far. I I, I do think Lucci. Well, well, hold on, wait. Um, what's a step too far? The idea that he's not the right guy for the job. Um, I I think in the context of uh, the hunts, you know, and their mantra, I think that he actually is the appropriate guy um, for the idea to build. Uh, you know, with the academy as the core, um, not exclusively to that, but the core. Um, you know, I think he, Lucci's pretty advanced tactically. I think he's a pretty good talent spotter. I just think, you know, he, he, as we talked about before the season and all season long, he's still a young coach. You know, he's he all the time admits he's learning. You know, I, he makes mistakes and he adapts from them. You know, I, I think this one's a mistake. Um, hopefully he'll learn. I don't think it's worth, you know, saying that he's not the right guy, though. I, I think he's still the right guy, given the context of, uh, you know, once Oscar left. I mean, Oscar would have been the right guy to stay if he wanted to stay, but... Uh, once he didn't want to stay, then certainly I think Lucci's the next best option, given who the ownership is, if that's fair. Oh, I think that's incredibly fair. I, I think it's incredibly sad, but it's also incredibly fair. I was going to say, I, I think it's a little bit harsh to sort of question his suitability for the role based on not starting one player. Um, you know, he's he's talked a little bit about... Well, hold on a second. I, I'm not suggesting he may not be the right guy based over one player there's there's multiple components in there and and it has more to do than just with the specific players it's talent assessment um uh positional and tactical uh thinking and all of those things i mean it's it, i don't want to sound alarmist or anything i'm just wondering that if 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 you've got a coach who decides jesus ferrer is better in the center of the midfield than paxton pamacall part one and part two of it is paxton's not even good enough to start out on the right or the left wing uh, it, it, are those things in themselves uh indicative of larger issues in terms of his ability to be a head coach at this level that's what i'm asking no, that's just the same as Oscar Pereira last year with uh, Roland Lamar. You know, Lucci's talked about Jesus is better at, at breaking the lines and getting in behind the defenders from the ten spot, which no one else in the club he he feels is is doing that. And you know, Paxton can play as many balls as he like, but if they're not getting to that specific area, then Andrasek or whoever isn't going to get isn't going to score. Um, you know, and then part two of that is, well, where do you put him? Do you want to stick him at the at right wing? Well, no, you want Barrios there. Do you want to stick him at left wing? Do you feel he's a little bit wasted there because he's not, you know, that high speed player? He's more of an intelligent passer. Um, you know, ideally, you'd like to maybe stick him at the eight, but Sylvanius, you know, he's played out of his skin the last month or two. So it's, you know, do you you know, where do you put him in if you don't? And, you know, when do you use him as that impact player? I think it's a, it's a, you know, it's a reasonable question to ask. It's like, that similar to uh, Perea with, uh, with Lamar when the trade-off was you can play this player who gets in positions to score goals, but he's going to cost you a goal a game because he's a defensive liability. You know, and that's, that's what managers get paid for, right? To make those decisions. So with the uh, season now complete, um, I'll start with you, Dan. W where, what is your uh, temperature on the level of uh, – how would you grade the season out, I guess, is what I'm asking or trying to ask. Uh, a B. I mean, it was – you know, we expected the team to be on the edge of the playoffs, and it was on the edge of the playoffs. Um Got a couple of uh, younger players that were nice surprises. Got some veteran talent in that maybe weren't nice surprises. You've got a, you know, uh, I don't think it's healthy that your club record signing the guy that should be the best player is is a player that people are talking about. Oh, you know, they should just cut him, get rid of him. He's he's not living up to the hype. Are you talking about Brian Acosta? Yes. Okay. Um, you know, on the other hand, uh, albeit limited sample size, uh, what Andrasek produced in the last uh, last two months was was a nice surprise. Um, I, I think it's it gives a good base for going forward. The first season where Lucci's actually involved in in um, acquisitions and scouting, and you know his team can have that. His management team can have their scouting trips and not just rely on lists from 
the Bazans, Oscar, Clavio, Mersey, people who aren't at the club for, for various reasons anymore. And and trying to fit those into Luchi Ball. Yeah, I th- I'm going to go with the same average grade. Um, you know, I, I agree with what Dan said in the middle there, that some of the young guys exceeded expectations and played above themselves and would be. And I, in my grades I gave at the end of the season there, I gave them good grades. And then a, a fair share of the veterans were let down. Um, and that's where I think Lucci will make some changes over the winter. And I agree with Dan, too, that, uh, you know, that, that Lucci will want to put more of a Lucci ball stamp on things. And I thought even Lucci himself did a pretty solid job um, being so inexperienced as he was. I didn't see any signs of losing the locker room. I didn't see any signs of guys tuning him out um, unless he gets really long-winded. Um, you know, I, I like the advanced tactics that he's bringing. I like that. Um, I occasionally don't agree with, uh, I think he overreacts a tiny bit to the opposition occasionally. Um, I'd like to see them work towards a more consistent, uh, home road, uh, ability and tactic and, and have a little less reaction and a little less negative reaction on the road where they, uh, just can't come out of their shell. Uh, that's something for Lucci to work on as a coach, not of himself, but of his squad, you know? So I think they're in a pretty good position, you know. I think they've they've taken a step forward as with the with this new young guys method. So, you know, right on an average result for this season. Not a great season, not a bad season. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Buzz. When you say that you think Lucci will make changes related to veterans, what do you mean by that? I think we've seen that the most reliable, consistent players, the guys that Lucci looks to um, to carry the load especially in the offensive half of the field are uh, young players. The defensive uh, end is fine. Um, it's one of the, I think it was the eighth best or seventh best goals against. And that even includes some of these road meltdowns, which hopefully will get better as the team improves and ages. So I think that, um, you know, some of the uh, higher price veterans didn't perform, especially on the offensive end. Um, there's a, there's a group of players that aren't, uh, aren't giving Lucy what he wants. Um, and whether it's, guys that are here or guys that are even gone already on some level. Um, I think there's going to be some changes. There's going to be, you know, as there is any given season, five or six uh, pieces of turnover. Um, we'll get into what that is some other day, but um, you know, I, it's, you can't, you can just look at the chaos on the front line with how many times he changed things and how many times he tried this or that or other piece. I mean, even starting a fullback at right wing in the last game, <laughs> tells you that he has no faith in what his pieces are available up front, you know, and I think we all know who those pieces are, you know, so yeah, I think it's pretty obvious. One of the things that I have seen nobody talk about and, um, um, and just decided maybe I had been uh, a little too uh, harsh too early in my reaction to the game on Twitter. I decided to just give up on it. Uh, but I, I, I continue to be shocked that not a single person that I can think of, uh, fan or media-wise, has taken a moment to consider the fact that after all of the uh, promises and pronouncements of a giant transfer window, active, impactful players, and we're going to bring in a bunch of stuff, that the one singular player that they did sign, Edwin Jossie, wasn't even in the 18 for the playoff game. And that was clearly a lineup and a coach desperate for attacking help on that particular day. And the guy they signed and paid all that money to was, you know, shopping at Stonebriar Mall, for all I know, on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I think we said a couple months ago that he would never play again for this club. Well, yeah. So, but- so it's not surprising. Uh, it's clearly this summer's window was a complete failure. That player was a failure, and then the idea to back off and 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 not try and bring anybody else in. I think I think that's a sign of uh, the staff transition. You know, I think like the other things that were on the plate, Lucci basically said, "Now nah, we'll just wait. I'll just stick it out with this group. You know, it's not. It's better. It'll be better for me to just stick with this group and see what I can do with this group than it would be to try and." do X, Y, or Z right now. I, you know, it seems so to me, that's cool. I mean, you know, it, that, that raised a lot of eyebrows in terms of like what kind of things they were bringing to the table in terms of might be available for signing. It makes you think that, uh, there, there's a, maybe a, maybe a disconnect with what was happening before and what Lucci wants now. Um, hopefully that'll be remedied. You know, Lucci tells me that there's some things coming. So I, you know, I'll take him his word on that, that there's some things coming and that he's got some things, even in the window, he said this last time, 
that the things we got lined up, it's better just to wait. So, you know, until we see what they are, we're going to have to sort of um, assume that maybe they're getting things going in the right direction. But uh, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to hold my breath for that though, because the, the performance this summer was definitely not uh, what you wanted. Well, I mean, historically, I mean, just we uh, history can predict what's going to end up happening in this window. Um, and you would be a fool otherwise to assume or guess or th- uh, believe anything else other than what has previously happened is going to be any different uh, leading into 2020. Uh, Dan, any other particular closing thoughts uh, on the season? Hmm. Uh, I mean, there's going to gonna be... Uh... Yeah. Are you still with us, buddy? Yeah, I'm here. What happened to you? You sound like you fell asleep. I was I was trying to think. Um without going into too much of uh what I assume the next podcast covers. Um you know, it's there's not uh there's not a whole lot to add to that really, is there? It's, it it gets to to uh to then your acquisitions and, and who you let go. And that's, you know, hopefully for another week. All right. So Dan, uh, do you have any predictions for how the MLS playoffs will uh, play out? I mean, it's LAFC is at this point, isn't it? Oh man. They got, they got their nemesis up next brother. Yeah. That don't mean shit. Right. Oh man, I was I was no offense to Minnesota United, but when I saw that LAFC had, had LA Galaxy Galaxy next this week on Thursday, oh man, my soccer brain lit up. I'm excited. That's going to be a fun one. Yeah, uh, Zlatan is going to uh, bring it. I don't know if uh, he, he individually is going to make that uh, uh, singularly singularly win that game for the Galaxy, but. And That's it also means that the, the Galaxy are going to have to get points uh, in three games in a row, which would be really difficult in a season. And I certainly agree with you, Dan, that you'd think LAFC, but uh, everything worked out in the favor. Uh, I guess the other game that they didn't get that they probably wanted was the Portland-Seattle game. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the LA Derby will be, or El Trafico or whatever they call it, uh, part three for the season will be pretty damn tasty on Thursday night for sure. Buzz, you got a prediction for how it's going to play out? Uh, well, obviously, I still like uh, LAFC as the favorite. Um, I don't think anybody in the West is can beat them other than LA Galaxy. That's the only stumbling block is the game this weekend. I don't think Salt Lake or Seattle will give them any trouble. Um, I did think it was interesting that Portland basically didn't start. Uh, was it Valeri? Valeri and, uh, yeah. yeah, that's like, wow. <laughs> that was a, a big eye-opener. Um uh, on the other side, uh, the Toronto shocking blowout of DC United was interesting. And that actually makes me wonder if um, Toronto's finally getting hot and recovering and getting everybody healthy. If they can get through, uh, you know, the game at uh, City Field, then and, and, and they'd probably have to go to Atlanta too or Philly either one. But that's a team that can win on the road. That's a Grizzly veteran team. So um, that, that, on the other side, I think that's a team to watch over there on that way. I still think. LAFC is the best team it has been all year, so they're the odds on favorite unless something weird happens. Well, you know, they had the injury to Kay uh, in the Nash, in the Nations yeah. League game. And has anybody heard what his status is? I haven't looked, and I probably should have before doing a radio or soccer podcast, but I didn't. I have not heard, no, so I okay. have no answer to that. I think either. if he's missing, if he's injured and can't play, that's a, that's a big miss for LAFC, and I think that really complicates things for that team uh, in that game. Um We'll see. All right, guys. Well, uh, thank you. It's been fun this season. I don't know when we'll do another one of these. I'm assuming in a few weeks after the MLS Cup is over, I would assume. And um, Well, can we talk about North Texas SC? Oh, I totally forgot. That's right. Uh, Saturday was a two-part thing for the club. Sorry, Buzz. Um, yeah, I wondered if that's the game Dan Hunt meant when he said, what a great game on Saturday to you. Oh, you know, maybe it was. Because uh, he was at that game. Uh, you know, I originally intended to go to that game, but because the uh, I got home from the show and sat down to watch the Dallas game, and that game ran so long that by the time it was over, I was never going to get to Frisco in time for kickoff, and I said, screw it, I'll watch it on ESPN+. Plus. And, um, you know, it wasn't a very good soccer game by any stretch of the imagination, but it was nice to see... Uh, I, I, you know, winning that inaugural season outright, both the regular season and the playoffs and doing it with the uh, patch of kids and the way they went about it was certainly nothing less than like crazy impressive. 
Yeah, I, I'd like to go back to the beginning of the season when, when we talked about on this podcast how they were going to not only run the table through the regular season, but would win the championship with basically what is an under-20 team. Um, by the time they got to the championship, they had guys that were 21 and 22, but um, for the bulk of that team is basically kids out of the academy. I mean, everybody on that team is... Well, I mean, I just think about the two playoff games they played, and you think about the average age of the two teams that they lined up in those two games and the average age of their opponents in those two games, and it's just – it's it's ridiculous – uh, the promise and the hope, you know, the promise and the quality and the talent um, that exists within the organization. It's it's insane. And and now at this point, the hunts, it's you know, people are like, oh, the hunts don't know how to win. I'm like, oh, hell no, they don't. I mean, now officially as of now, do you realize that the hunt sports group has ostensibly won every major youth uh, 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 title? Uh, and sub below MLS title, you can possibly win um, in U.S. soccer. Uh, and, and with the exception, obviously, of USL Pro, because that's the only one that isn't out there. But all, you know, all the different age groups, um, all the yeah. way up, and now USL won. I mean, they've won all, they've won all of those. And, well, won the North American Soccer League back in the 70s, too. Yeah. And, you know, the one thing, obviously, missing is MLS Cup. But yeah. Apparently yeah, of course, never. but they have a shield and they have a open cup and they shield have shield doesn't this. mean anything. That's like tissue uh, paper. It yes, does got, to you. They've got two open cups. I agree. Yes, yes, the, yes. The shield that you speak of, which is like determining a winner of Monopoly by who has the more uh, hotels and houses on their property. Yes, I guess. Well, as, you know, as a Man U fan, I'm surprised to hear you say that. Why? <laughs> because that's basically the same title as the every the sword shield is the title almost everywhere else in the world. No, no, I, and like the, and, the and, concept, to, and to no, no, buy no, no. a title stop, of winning. Stop, stop, stop! I totally agree. The shield concept at the end of the year point total being the determiner of our champion is absolutely the way to do it. But in Major League Soccer, it's an unbalanced schedule. In fact, it's not even a balanced schedule within the conferences. It's maybe more so than it used to be. That's why my analogy of saying you determine somebody winning Monopoly not by who has more money, but who possibly has more houses and hotels on their property. Now, if you know anything about Monopoly, you know that you could have way more houses and hotels and have way less total value in that. And that's the reason why I don't see the Supporter Shield as a really worthy trophy for anything because it doesn't hold the water at it. But I also understand that people have violently uh, different opinions <laughs> about it. But that's my opinion on it. Yeah, no, that's fair. I just I, I like the Supporter Shield because it means that you were within the context of what the season is. You're the best team over the course of the season. That's why I think it's important. You know, except I, for the fact that you may have gotten to play the crappiest team know, three more times that, than the that's team. That's why. That's why I said within the context of the season, the way it is. I'm aware of the value of MLS Cup. I'm aware there's an imbalanced schedule. But I think over 34 games, if you have the most points, that means you're the, over the course of the season, you were the best team. Especially because these days, the Western Conference is a tougher conference and it has been for like a decade now. So I, you know. You don't I mean, do you, do you question that LAFC is the best team in this league? Even if they don't win MLS Cup, are they not the best team in this league right now? Oh, yeah. There's no question. Right. No, so I, even if they don't win MLS Cup, they're still the best team. That's all I'm yeah, saying. I, I, I'm not saying there hasn't been seasons where Supporter Shield legitimately named the, the rightful person. I'm just saying that it's open to interpretation based on any particular given season, harking sure. back to the year that FC Dallas lost it to the New York Red Bulls, who got to play the absolute crappiest schedule. Uh, it was way yeah. easier than what Dallas had, and yet they were Supporter Shield winners. Yeah, yeah. So there, stick that in your pie. Yeah, I'm with you. Sort of, not really. So yeah, League One. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my point being is, is they won League One. Congratulations to them. They know how to do it. Blah blah blah. It's a, uh, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how much to take out of it. Um, it's it's cool and everything. But when, to your point, Buzz, when you're rolling out essentially a U20 team and yeah. you're steamrolling the league, my question immediately goes, well, uh, how good is the league? And like, has this really been worth it? And is it going to get any better? Hmm. Or are they just going to steamroll and win uh, USL1 every year? Uh, I don't think it'll be every year because the league will improve. Um, but I think there's a, actually there's a really good value to it um, in terms of development because uh, you are playing boys against men. You know, you're playing against bigger bodies, stronger guys, larger guys, um, guys that are fighting for careers in a lot of cases, you know, guys that have a, 
more determination in the moment. You know, if you're a young kid who thinks you're hot stuff and you go rolling out there and some guy bowls you over, that's part of learning, right? Oh, so I think there's a there's a moment in that game. I've got to mention this. Sorry, Buzz. I don't mean to sure. But there's a moment in the game when Thomas Roberts went Arkansas tree chop 50-50, won that ball. Oh, that was a great yeah. scene. Oh, that no, was, that's perfect. I bet it was right? even I better mean, in person than it was on television. Oh yeah, it was lovely. But that's a perfect example, right? When Thomas Roberts came out of the academy, you're looking at a kid that was all flash, right? Exciting attacking player, super special on the offensive end, pure ten, pure attacker. And unlike uh, Pablo Arangis, Thomas Roberts has embraced the idea that he's going to have to play luchi ball and defend and get play end-to-end, play box-to-box, and tackle. And so to see him make plays like that and tackle like that and get physical with guys when they're 30 to 40 pounds bigger than him and stronger than him, I think that's fantastic. Oh, so, uh, you know, in terms of development, uh, fabulous tool. I mean, guys, look at... The, how good Brian Reynolds looks in those games. Look how good Thomas Roberts looks in those games. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. no. I mean, you don't know. get me wrong. It is uh, it is absolutely a better place that this thing exists. And um, no matter where they end up playing their games or whatever they call it, it is absolutely better to have it. I just, it, yeah. it, unless the league gets better, and, and, and hopefully you're correct that better teams and the teams will bring in better players, yeah. there does become a moment where you're like, okay, now we're just swimming in the same warm water. And uh, that's not, you know, it's not really getting us any. Anywhere. It well, may the, be, it may be helpful this season, but you can see how yeah. quickly if the uh, if the competition doesn't rise, and obviously the hunts are never going to pay the fee to move up to USL Pro. No. Um, uh, you know, it, it is what it is, and it's suddenly like, okay, well, do you really want to go out and want it and, and have anything to do with this? Well, yeah, the, the, the more MLS teams that come in will help with the talent level. Uh, I think this season in particular, you saw that teams at the beginning of the season underestimated the, the level, and some of them struggled out of the gate, and then they all got a lot better as the season went on, and they got more pieces, and they got together. So I think that will improve, too, as you know, teams will go, oh, man, we got we got to get some more players in here. you know, And, and I, so I think every season will get better, plus more teams will make it better, too, just the volume of them. Um, I, th- I think it makes the league better because you'll have uh, different styles of play. So you'll have different challenges. You'll have different venues. I think all that will be good. But um, let's go back to the specific game, though, because I want to give Kyle Zovac a lot of love because he was fantastic. Boy, was he. he was, yeah, he was, was amazing. Yeah, they don't win that game without him. I, I you know, I think Carlos Avalos has got some future, but in particular, that performance, Kyle Zovac was phenomenal. Um, Arturo Rodriguez, the guy that should be League One MVP, uh, rose to the occasion to score the one goal. Thomas looked great. Uh, Jata came back after a couple games out and looked pretty good. Um, Donzo came off the bench and showed the flash and flair that make him a big-time talent that will be in MLS within a year or two. I mean, overall, just Breck Evans, leader in the back, captain, held the whole thing together. He made a couple of uh, big saves again. Uh, just the whole thing was phenomenal. I enjoyed it top to bottom. And uh, it was great after they go to see them uh... – See Arturo lead the players over to the to the fans to celebrate with uh, the, you know the the couple that have been there every game. Yeah, I literally uh, counted it. I uh, checked it because you could kind of see the football stripes. The kid ran a hundred over a hundred and ten yards from one end of the stadium all the way to the other to go. Uh, to the beer garden, and I'm assuming there's somebody sitting in the beer garden that he specifically wants to celebrate with. So that's Rob Shishship. Shit, forgive me, Rob. Uh, Mushroom Man, the guy with the toad, uh, the toadstool hat. He, oh, yeah. um, he go. I mean, he's you know he's at every FC Dallas game for the start of warm ups. He's the one person that's been at every North Texas yeah. SC game. I mean, um, you he's know, I was the in super the, fan. Yeah, I was in the Hall of Fame after the game, and like Thomas Roberts, Thomas Roberts was even saying, "Hey, man, uh, you know, thank you for coming to every single game. It's really cool to see." like a familiar face at every game regardless of which level I'm playing at. Oh, the first couple of games of the year, it was so empty in there that Rob would be in the end zone yelling at the referee and you could hear it echoing clearly through the whole stadium. <laughs> and every single person in the stands, all 50 or 100 of them, would turn and look at him while he would yell at the referee. It was awesome. <laughs> well, he's hard to uh, miss and he obviously has the mushroom hat on. Does anybody know the story behind the costume and what the point of all that is? Is it just hey, I this is, this is my outfit, oh, or is there idea. a story behind it? Do you know so, it, Dan? Um, is he into it? Like, is actually no. I, I think it was partly a standout thing, but it is like phenomenal sun protection, uh, and I know he burns really easily. So having a goalkeeper jersey and that, 
you know, is kind of immune to the sun now. Well, full props to him and giant respect for being uh, a super fan like that. That's uh, actually that's uh, they were doing the whole. Uh, the team were in the Hall of Fame club after, and they were doing the whole thing. Like uh, you know, you see teams like throwing Pep up in the air after they win the league. They did that to him. Oh, really? That's great. Yeah. Oh, that's super cool. Awesome. Yeah, I wish there was a video of that. Yeah. Well, I'm sure oh, maybe there is somewhere. I, there you know, is. And- uh, oh. Well, I will say, uh, you know, seeing Arturo run all the way across the stadium to go greet a super fan is absolutely the kind of stuff this club needs. It needs it so desperately, um, and it needs it more than than one that one instance. You know, I was really pleased to see uh, at the end of uh, victories late in the season the players started going over to the beer garden and doing the bow thing and that's great it just that needs so much more of that that engagement between the players and the fans and sharing that love and that connection i really hope they figure out a way even if lucci has to force them to do it game in and game out they just need that in bucket loads uh from here on out I actually had a conversation with uh, Jimmy uh, Smith at the uh, Arlington, um, uh, the Globe Life thing. Jimmy Smith's the new, not new, he's the COO of FC Dallas. And uh, over the last year, year and a half, he started to sort of stick his hands into things. And I just complimented him when I had this conversation. I said, hey, I just, I don't even know specifically what you do. I just noticed that, like, since I've become aware of you being involved, I've noticed this trend towards... Uh, this atmosphere and this and this game day uh, interest and he's and he just sort of expressed back and forth uh, the idea that like yeah we're embracing that we know that we need to do better on that you know without any specifics because it wasn't that kind of conversation but um, it's just nice to see that a guy at the top that's to me is new at the top is sort of understands that level and gets that part and I think that there's been a move that direction that you can see I think over the last year maybe year and a half that I, that I applaud for one. All right. Well, uh, yet another FC Dallas season without an MLS Cup, and I'm crushed about it. But sorry, buddy. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm kind of used to it at this point, Buzz. Yeah. (laughs) You could be worse. You could just see Friskin this week tweeting about the New York Red Bull and how they've lost however many years in a row now, ten years in a row in the playoffs to ten different teams or something. He he's pretty dejected too. Well, no cups for him. He and I can go have a pity party together. I. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we can go be miserable fans uh, yeah. together. Absolutely. Well, hey, listen, I, you know, we all want an MLS Cup. I just, uh, you know, I, I try to stay in the moment a little more, but I totally get your take that it's 24 years of frustration uh, that they have yet to get a title here. I, I feel you, man. I'm, I'm with you too on a lot of levels. Just well, maybe but not I mean, my frustra- but my frustration <clears throat> is the fact that we're back to square one again, right? Like, like it yeah. was literally just three seasons ago, I, and it seems like everybody has forgotten this. Three seasons ago, this team was on the precipice of winning the first domestic treble, and it had the coach it ever could possibly want. And it had a number 10 that everybody thought was super wicked and awesome. And it had a up-and-coming American homegrown box-to-box midfielder. It had a ball-winning holding midfielder. It had a Defender of the Year center back. And it had the most up-and-coming rising star and American goalkeeper uh, in the goal. It had its spine. It literally had everything it needed. And here we are three years later essentially starting over. And, yeah, these and things. Let me, let me hold on. Let me, let me add okay, sorry. And the reason why we're back where we are now are all because of the way Dan and Clark Hunt choose to run this team. I mean, you can literally almost go to every one of those aspects and pieces. And the reason why the ones that are no longer here, including the coach, are because of how they choose to run the team. With the exception, potentially, of Kellen. But I would also say I, th- I believe that the point of that was is that in the one moment where Dan and Clark do something really kind for a player, they let him go instead of making him stay and working through his personal issues. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, these things tend to go roughly, you know, four or five year cycles uh, teams, you know, uh, Shellis took his team up to MLS Cup 2010 and then it started to come down and then he, you know, left and then Oscar took his team up, you know, got to the peak and then it came down and Oscar and I had some conversations about this over the back half of um, 2018 that he knew that this sort of four or five year cycle was ending and he knew he was going to have to rebuild uh, and start a new cycle. And so that was a little bit of the conversation in terms of him leaving about, do I want to do this again here? Do I want to build again here? Or do I want to try and build mm-hmm. somewhere else? So, you know, he knew some level of build was going to come. Maybe he didn't know that it was going to be this complete 
tear down a youth investment, but um, you know, I so even if Oscar would have stuck, he would have been doing a little bit of this too, because obviously they he knew that uh, that uh, Diaz was going to leave, you know, and why that's did, all okay, part but of hold it. on, why did Diaz leave? Uh, for triple the salary, I assume, right. you know, because when three the million hunt, to one million, the Hunts didn't want no, to pay him, you know, sure. a, a giant check, yeah. right? Well, that's the other part of the conversation I had with Oscar all the time was he's, he would say, I've been here for five years and I've yet to have a striker that I've been asking for, you know, and, and maybe it's time for me to, yes. to move on. So that's all part of it for sure. Yeah. No question. It's all part of the big picture. Yeah. And again, uh, they own this thing. It's their property. They can choose to paint it uh, in stripes. I don't you know, it's really their business. But as as somebody that observes this from the outside, it to me, I, I just don't think we ever talk about this enough about how they they actually did the work to build something that was super quality and was primed to be a consistent competitive thing as long as they continued to feed it properly and do all the things you do with your your favorite athlete athletic pet um and then because a couple of things didn't go their way it all fell apart after that largely because of how they choose to go about doing their business and that part drives me nuts yeah yeah yeah, they definitely don't they definitely don't want to do it that way anymore. They definitely want to go with this more sustainable thing. And I'm with you. It's it's easy for us to say you should spend some money. I mean, we all think they should spend some money on players and play it at, at you know more like an LAFC kind of thing. And I, I agree oh, with look, you. Look, I'm not even asking them to do the LAFC thing. I just I my question with this new business model is is where is where does this go? Like how how does this turn into a consistently competitive MLS you know cup winning team? I I just don't know how this works. Yeah. Well, when when I was talking to Dan at the thing in Arlington the other day. We talked about this a little bit, and I'm going to write some stuff with the quotes he gave me over the next couple of weeks. Um, uh, you know, he, he talked about uh, the, the salary cap and how to build a sustainable quality team that's in the upper half of the league, that you have to have this infusion of talent all the time from the bottom. Uh, he also talked about having to be able to come in from the top, too, and bring in um, the right kind of players and the right kind of budgets. You know, I, again, the budget word always comes up because they're not going to spend the $15 million. We know it's fine. Um, but you know, they can't miss is the problem. It's like, you know, but, but they're willing to spend a little money. And the problem is, is like, do you, do you trust your front office enough, uh, in their talent evaluation? Cause the last three or four have been misses. So, well, okay. But um, I, I, I'm just going to ask this question. How much yeah. of, of the, of the problems they're having in a talent valuation is because they've limited the pool of players that are interested in even coming here in the first place, because it's so well known that they're not going to pay top dollar for players that are up and coming known veteran players. I mean, it just, that's, yeah. and, and then even if even if in an amazing scenario they were willing to pay something equal if you're an up-and-coming young talent and you have your option of going to portland kansas city atlanta seattle if all the numbers are the same why would you ever come to frisco the half-empty stadium very young roster inexperienced coach i mean where's the allure for a brian fernandez or um uh, a pity martinez or anybody like, like like take la and new york out of the scenario right sure just just if you're an up-and-coming foreign player what's the what's the allure to come play in frisco texas well, I don't uh, know that I have a definitive answer on that. Um, the one thing I will point to that there is a little bit of that is that um, Brian Acosta wanted to come here because um, uh, the defender uh, that's in Houston now, goodness gracious, is in my mind blanks Figueroa. completely. Figueroa. Uh, yes, yes, thank you. He sold Brian Acosta on coming here that it was great here and that the environment was good here. And I think um, there is a... Um, positivity of the culture here for uh, Latino and Hispanic players. Um, there's a, you know, Spanish is spoken in training uh, as well as English. There's a big Spanish presence in the locker room. There's a big Spanish communities in around town. There's lots of places you can feel comfortable. So I have heard that a couple of times. I will grant you that I think a lot of times if you're like, oh, do I want to win for titles? Do I want to be in these great, amazing crowds? I can't argue with that half of that argument. I think there's a definitely a disconnect there, and, and it would be hard to sell guys if they're being really mercenary-like. Um, uh, you also have the idea that um, Dallas has shown they are willing to move a guy on when he wants to go. So they're not going to – you know, they, they, they did let Diaz go. They didn't let Zacosta go. You know, they, they haven't argued with guys and forced – they let Grezzo go. They haven't forced them to stay here. So maybe that's appealing, you know. If you're looking for a stepping stone, maybe that's appealing. Um, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know that you can compete with Portland in terms of, uh, you know, or um, I don't know what sporting Kansas City. With, uh, 
Can't, yeah, Sporting Salt Edge. Lake. Uh, <clears throat> no, I think you can Cincinnati. Salt Lake. No, I, why would you want to go to Cincinnati? They don't like, have anything. Amazing atmosphere, up and coming. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, sure. currently they're not a great team, but certainly if you're if you're coming for, um, uh, you know, if you're coming for something up and coming and and growing. I mean, I look, I, I wouldn't yeah, go maybe. to Cincinnati either. But I'm just, you get my point, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh and, no, and, no I, and yeah. So I, my question always goes back to is the fact that this team ended up with Brisson, Andrezic, and Giassi as a and Acosta, and again, and again, I still think the jury's very, very much out on Brian Acosta, his decision-making in critical moments, uh, at least in the attacking half of the field, was terrible after he scored that wonder goal to open the season. Yeah. Um, uh, and then the header at the end. But, it, you know, that that shot that he took to end, essentially end the game uh, on Saturday was just oh, as yeah. maddening as it could possibly be. And it also leads me to wonder, well, maybe there's a reason why Brian Acosta was available because everybody else knows he's not really good at decision-making in the attacking half of the field. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's why he's available. Uh, for, but you get my point. Like, maybe the, oh, yeah. the, 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 they, they limit at the pool of available quality players because you know Dallas really is kind of known as not necessarily the place you want to go um, if you're really kind of like looking for an experience and and growing your career. Well, you know, this is something we talk about. A, I, I agree with you on the side of the atmosphere and the side of like the the overall organization, but um, you know, I, I just put out some numbers today that over the last uh, six years now, Dallas is. Is it third or I think it's third or fourth in total points, and on average points they're fifth. So you know they haven't won MLS Cup, but yeah, they're but, pretty consistently in the top half of the league. So okay, it's not well, hold on, but uh, the, but the structure of this team today is incredibly, uh, fundamentally different in every way than it was in in the twenty three seasons prior to that. I mean, this is now without question a team built on the premise of homegrown teenagers and early twenty year olds, right? Yeah, but and they it's still never they been that before. Well, they, that's that's true, but they still have what six or seven guys that are right above the DP level that they have to buy down. So you know, I I don't I, I don't think it's completely fair to say that it's uh, it's like they have no uh, structure or talent. Or I mean, I, you know, they no, have guys I'm, here that have played in the World Cup. I mean, Hedges is pretty nice. Zeke is no, pretty no, nice. No, no, don't get me wrong. Is a good I don't, make sure you understand what I'm saying. I'm just saying yeah. it's hard to compare the results of this season and what's happening forward to the 23 years prior where they've you know, averaged out a certain amount of points because the structure of this team is different than it was previously, right? Even when Perea yeah. was here and he had Paxton and Jesus and Reggie and everybody on the sidelines, he didn't play them. He played veteran players, for better or worse. Sure. Right? Now, yeah. Lucci's like, screw it, I'm playing the kids. And you know what? To his to his credit, the kids have actually been the best part of the team, at least the most consistent. And yes, they signed Ziegler, and Ziegler's been an amazing sign, and he's been fantastic. Uh, and credit to them for that. Yeah, I, I don't... Uh, you know, soccer's a young man's game, right? I mean, this is the young, talented team. I think if you're talking about a 30-year-old veteran star, he's not going to want to come here, but if you're a 20, 21, 22, you might be salivating at the chance to come here. Okay. So if you're, you know what I mean? If you're Bobby like, Wood, if you're Bobby Wood, do you want to come play in Frisco? I think Bobby Wood might be happy to get paid to play anywhere at this point. No, I, I agree with you that there's sometimes it's a hard sell. Okay. All right. <clears throat> compared to some of the teams, but I, I just think that the, the other 15 teams in the league, I don't think it's a hard sell at all. It's only a hard sell compared to Portland, you know? Uh, hmm. Wow. I would disagree with you on that. So you think the other twenty three teams no, no, in there not the are the twenty three? No, 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 no. I, yeah. I, I'm saying I think there is if 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 dollars are all the same, and a player says uh, his agent says you can go to Dallas, you can go to Portland, you can go to Kansas City, you can go to Salt Lake, you can go to Atlanta, um, you can go to Miami, you know, whatever it is. I just I don't know how Frisco ever wins out in that battle unless. Unless there's some like very specific relationship uh, that is built through there, and the problem is you've got a coach, an American coach who's very young, and his networking is very limited on a global scale. Um, and I, you know, I don't know how. Again, and all of that is moot because in more times than not, if it's a player of any particular quality or note, he's going to end up getting a better offer from another club anyway. And the rest of it, whether or not, yeah. like Frisco and shopping at Stonebriar Mall and the nice schools and a big giant house in the middle of a cow pasture is completely moot at that point. 
Yeah, I think that would be true for about half the league, you know. But as I say, I think if you're a really young player, or I think if you're a player from Latin America, that there's a lot of appeal here. I don't think I think this is the only team in the league that has like an identifiable Latin culture, you know, as a big part of what it is, you know, that I can think of. Oh, LAFC probably also has that. Yeah, but you know, they're they're already way above FC Dallas anyway. So, but you know, I I think you're more appealing than half the league still. Interesting. I do. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think the I think the Latin part of it is a, a, an extremely valid point I hadn't considered. So maybe there is some value in there that I hadn't uh, put into the equation. Maybe maybe that would be a reason why uh, somebody you know uh, I maybe it certainly we, wasn't Acosta's case. Uh, again, I don't know if he had any offers to go to any other MLS clubs. Clubs. Well, they had to buy him. I mean, he had a contract. He's been trying to come here for two no, years. No, I know, but I don't know if any other, you know. Oh, was, MLS. Was, yeah, was there any other yeah, yeah. MLS teams wanting him, right? Like, did he? Yeah, no, him? I don't right. know. Yeah, uh, fair saying. enough. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, interesting. Well, I'm sure we'll wait a couple of weeks, let the season play itself out. We'll do another episode kind of uh, uh, previewing what we think will happen next season and reacting to MLS Cup and, um, you know, the uh, whatever uh, entertainment that brought everybody. Yeah, I think it's going to be very entertaining. I'm looking forward to see what happens. I think there's some teams that can knock off LAFC. It's going to be fun. Well, uh, Dan, thank you for joining us. I hope you had a nice nap. Sorry, you just woke me up. Uh, Very nice. And Buzz, thank you as always for your good work this season. You are a trooper and a hero, and everybody should uh, go throw some uh, dimes and dollars in your Patreon account. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Patreon.com slash third degree. We would love the support. Helps pay for this podcast and all the other driving around the Metroplex and to Tucson that we do. And thank you, good FC Dallas fan. Uh, we uh, Three of us only do this because uh, we wanted to be able to supply you guys the content and we love the conversation and we do very much appreciate that all 37 of you listen each and every week. We really, really do. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Uh, that. Well, okay, maybe a little bit more. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time on another edition of Third Degree, the podcast.